Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Glad to continue the, um, the Colossians series. It's, um, I love uh, doing expository preaching where you go through verse by verse. And uh, we often, uh, most often do topical um, sermon series, but uh, like to squeeze in one or two of these a year because just studying Scripture verse by verse is really important. First of all, before I jump into that, though, um, I don't know if Tori's still here. She was here first service. Tori Webb has been the administrator and still is the administrator for the church, but she's expecting something. Uh, in fact, she's expecting someone. <laughs> uh, she is going on maternity leave because she's due in just a few weeks. And so I just want to let you know that a big part of Tori's job is answering questions. All right? And so when you're at church and you see Tori and you, and you want to know something, like where do I put this or where can I find this or what do I do if about church, so that's her job. And she's on, on maternity leave, and so that means she's not working. <laughs> and so I've instructed her not to answer you. But to slap you in the face, no. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of clarify, because, you know, you just, you just assume, well, I just, Tori's the answer person. Um, but that's her job, and so we want to give her the next six to eight weeks that she's on maternity leave, a real break from that, so she can just come and, and come to church and, and, and enjoy. And you can ask her about her baby or ask her about her pregnancy or ask about anything else. Uh, just don't ask her about the church stuff. Instead, ask Anthony. <laughs> or you can fill out the question on the uh, connection card, or you can email admin at needacommunity.org. You can contact me or Mark Morris as well. So there's lots of ways we can get, we'll get you the answer. Just Tori's no longer the answer, at least for uh, six to eight weeks. Eh? <laughs> Pray for a good, healthy baby. All right, we are going to continue the Colossians series written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, probably around 50, 55 A.D. while he was sitting in prison in prison because he wouldn't stop talking about this person, Jesus. And they locked him up, so he started writing about him. And thank goodness he did because those letters became much of what we call the New Testament. And and from that we learn so much about what is uh, the message of the gospel and what church is. Last week, Graham, I thought, did a fantastic job covering chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and in that, Paul kind of changes gears and begins addressing some of the difficulty, uh, some of the heresies, some of the wrong thinking that was being introduced into the church. Some of the things he covered <coughs> was that if you add to the gospel, you end up emptying it and undermining it, leaving only an empty crust. How many were here and saw his illustration? So I don't know if he did it at both services, but I, I listened to it on the podcast. I'm like, I know he's doing something, but I can't tell. He never said what it was. So I, I, I wrote him an email. I said, what was the illustration? So he just, uh, you know, if you, if you take out the substance, you end up with an empty crust. And the gospel is not to be an empty crust. It's to be something full of life, something that we can eat. Uh, in Christ, uh, the fullness of the God had dwelt. And so this idea that uh, the divinity can exist within a physical body, bridging the spiritual and physical world, huge issue, especially in the first century, but it's a huge issue today um, that uh, it, Christ accomplished what 
really seems uh, impossible, uh, and he did it fully. He's fully God, fully man. That, and then another big idea that uh, was Graham talked on is that we're complete in him. It's a done deal. We are already uh, full, complete in Christ. And that Jesus was completely victorious, um, wiping out the, the handwritten uh, uh, ordinances that were against us, as well as uh, utterly disarming and defeating and triumphing over all principalities and powers, uh, and actually leading them into uh, uh, a public spectacle. Um, which brings us to the, the next verse, today's section. All that kind of uh, uh, leads up to uh, what we're going to talk through today. <clears throat> it says, So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and, and worshiping of angels, <clears throat> intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concerns things with, which perish with the using, according to the commandments uh, uh, and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of, self, uh, 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 of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Okay, we're going to take this verse by verse and, and, and unpack it and kind of see what it means and how it applies to our lives today. Let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding... Uh, a festival, new moon, or Sabbath. But it starts out, it says, so. Uh, so means because of what was just communicated, because, I'm going to read it this time, uh, um, so I get it all, because uh, of the completeness of the victory that Christ had in the preceding verses, that he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross, okay? So Paul's saying, because Jesus accomplished that, and because he disarmed principalities and powers, uh, this is rulers and, uh, and, and um, forces, as well as demonic uh, uh, personalities or influences in the world, it says he disarmed them, and he made, Jesus made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Because of what Christ accomplished, this incredible task in his death and his resurrection, we then should not let anyone judge us according to these things. So, so we're moving from this incredible theological truths to some application. Right? And that application is that we are not to be judged because of Christ's victory. Paul lists some of the requirements that uh, Christ had wiped away, had removed, and particularly is referring to some of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. When it talks about uh, food and drink, 
festivals, new moons, and Sabbath. The, the term festival, new moons, and Sabbath is actually quite frequently used in the Old Testament as kind of a summary of all of the uh, uh, ceremonial uh, laws that uh, the Old Testament culture had to maintain. And so that phrase was not something that Paul made up. He's actually quoting Old Testament scripture. Uh, of course, the Old Testament scripture was um, in that culture, in that era, they were required to keep all of those. And he's saying, no, we are not to be judged by those things anymore because there's a reason, all right? The gospel, what Christ accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection doesn't need asceticism, okay? Asceticism is a big fancy word which um, is... Uh, denying yourself uh, of substances or practices, punishing yourself, restricting, putting restrictions on yourself physically or in the physical world for the purpose of growing or in, increasing or advancing spiritually. Okay, so it's not a ta- it's not talking about uh, uh, going on a diet to lose weight. It's not talking about you know. Uh, eliminating something from your diet for health reasons. Okay? It's t- uh, this is talking about doing something, restricting food or, rest- uh, or practicing certain ceremonies for the purpose of advancing spiritually. And that is no longer valid in the gospel. Okay? The gospel age, it's no longer the way. In fact, if you add those things to the gospel, you're depleting it. You're taking something very significant out of it. <clears throat> uh, so one of the things is most people don't argue about, gosh, I, I really think we should continue those new moons uh, celebrations. <laughs> Have anybody ever, could you stop them uh, with the, the noise thing back there? Give them another toy. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, distract me, sorry. <clears throat> so when's the last time you had an argument about someone keeping the new moon? How many even knew there was new moon celebrations in the Old Testament? There you go, Dan, you get an extra donut. <laughs> All right, we knew that there's festivals, right? There's a Passover and the, and the Feast of the Tabernacles, and there's, there's major festivals uh, that were required that all Jewish people had to keep. But there are also monthly celebrations called new moons or special sacrifices and different things that were required in the law. And, of course, there's tons of uh, dietary laws. And then there's this thing called the Sabbath. Now, most of us are familiar with the weekly Sabbath, because it is one of the Ten Commandments, and we all learned that in Sunday school, and that is the seventh day. <clears throat> all right, but there were other Sabbaths, there are other days of rest that were also uh, ascribed in the law uh, that needed to be uh, celebrated in addition to the uh, weekly Sabbath, and you can go into that. I'm not going to go into a full study on the Sabbath, but I wanted to talk about this a little bit because. Uh, some people have grown up in a tradition or church tradition that says Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, <clears throat> all right? And that's a nice little phrase. The problem is it's not really true. Uh, first of all, Sabbath means seventh, all right? And Saturday is the seventh day of the week. Sunday is the first day. So if you say Christians, the Christian Sabbath is Sunday, you're just saying Christians are really bad at math, all right? <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. Because uh, <laughs> uh, the Christian's Sabbath is not Sunday. Sunday is the day that we celebrate publicly because we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, and he rose on Sunday, right? And so it's a shift. It was very significant uh, act differentiating Christians in the first century, especially in Palestine, from Jews, because many of them were Jewish, and so they would gather to celebrate on Sunday, and that was openly declaring they were celebrating the resurrection. But the Christian Sabbath, if you want to fulfill, well, what is the Christian Sabbath? The Christian Sabbath is Christ. It's the person. Christ fulfills all of the law, right? And so the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. The rest, speaking of the Sabbath, this is all from the book of Hebrews, uh, and that rest is not a day. It is a person. It is when we enter into Christ. When we keep Christ, we are keeping the Sabbath. When do we do that? Every day. Every day. Every day. So that's my mini exhortation on Sabbath. You can, you can disagree with me. It's fine if you think you need. Uh, the principle of keeping a Sabbath, of the principle of having one day a week that you abstain from uh, uh, labors and rest and, and devote more time into uh, seeking God, that's absolutely appropriate and right and good and absolutely necessary. And if you neglect that, you're neglecting something that God uh, built into creation, all right? But the fulfillment of what all of those scriptures about the Sabbath in the Old Testament is talking about is Jesus because Christ fulfills the law. He is the fulfillment thereof. All right, you can talk to me about that more if you want or read a few books. Read the book of Hebrews. All right, the bottom line of this message, whether it be Sabbaths or new moons or the festivals or food and drink issues, is that they are no longer grounds for judgment of ourselves nor should we judge other people based on those things, all right? The gospel, the message of Christ's death and resurrection, supersedes all of them by fulfilling them, all right? It doesn't eliminate them because nothing from the law is eliminated. It is fulfilled. And so we look at these old covenant um, uh, 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 things like dietary laws and and celebrations, and we ask ourselves, how is that fulfilled in Christ, and how can I live in Christ in the fulfillment of what that foreshadowed? Does that make sense? All right, good. I hope it does. I'm still trying to figure it out. (laughs) It's, you know, there's tons of stuff in the Old Covenant, and it all points to Christ. How can I live that fulfilled? Because Christ is preeminent. He superseded all of it. And it's all built on that idea of the preeminence of Christ and how everything leads up to him. In fact, this next verse says that. It says, for all these rules, all those things from the past are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Well, this is kind of an interesting verse because he's, he's, he's uh, explaining a concept. And I love, actually, um, how God and how Paul takes this really complex idea and crams it into just a few little words that all of those rules, all of those regulations, all of that stuff in the Old Testament were shadows of a reality that was in the future. <clears throat> all right? And so... This kind of works both ways. 
those realities, those laws and regulations, the festivals, the, the dietary laws, uh, all of that stuff was a shadow of what was to come. But when Paul had written this, had Christ come? Yes. So he had already come. Those shadows were to lead to Christ's coming. All right? And um, the, the substance or what was creating the shadow, you know, the shadow is cast when light, the destination, in this case, the, God, I think it's illustrative of truth, fulfillment of God, is casting the light onto something real, and then it casts a shadow. And so he's, he's using this terminology uh, to illustrate a timeline. And so the shadows, those ordinances and regulations, were helpful. All right? I, I, right now, I, I, wish, I wish I had better uh, special effects. <laughs> you know, I'm looking at, I, have, I see a shadow here of, a, of a, a rectangle with a little pointing thing coming out of it, and I, I can learn a lot about uh, that if I study it, but well, I can learn a lot more if I just look at the podium, at the little music stand that's casting the shadow, Right? Okay, this is the substance, that's the shadow. The rules and regulations, the festivals, the Sabbaths, were just shadows that teach us a little bit about, but if you look at the shadow, it shouldn't be too difficult to look and see where the shadow's coming from, right? And then once you find the reality, once you're walking in the light of the fullness of the gospel of Christ, who cares about the shadow? That was Paul's point. We're in the light. We don't need the shadows anymore. You know, don't go back to the shadows. Let no one cheat you of the reward, uh, uh, of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, um, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up uh, by his fleshly mind. <clears throat> and cheating, this idea of cheating is, you know, if, if someone won a race if you're in the Olympics and, and you get the gold medal and you're standing on the podium and, you know, some guy runs up and grabs it and runs away, you know, you've already won that prize. And this, this idea of, of, of stealing away something you've already won. Well, what have we won in this context? We've won our completeness. We are full. We've got it all. In Christ, we have it. We have the prize. Don't let somebody take that back away from you. All right? We already have it when we're walking in Christ. We're complete in Christ. It's a done deal. But if you start to add back in those regulations, those rules, those things, then you're, it's actually stealing away what you've already been given freely. And this idea is false humility is the way it's presented and deceptions and heresies come across like they make sense, <laughs> you know, that's why they gain traction. Or people can be really humble or appear humble when they're trying to explain how this is still required. And uh, of course, in the context of Colossae, there were mostly Jewish scholars going to these Gentile uh, churches claiming to follow the Messiah, and these Jewish scholars were often... Um, trying to get them to follow all of the traditions of the Old Testament. And Paul's saying, no, those are just shadows. Those are no longer necessary. 
Uh -huh. Even though they're being communicated with a false humility, it's false because the attention is still on the person, right? And not on Christ, all right? We don't need to do that because we're in the fullness of Christ. Now, this issue of worship of angels, um, again, that's something that <coughs> uh, in their context was very relevant. Um, the heathen religions, the pagan religions in their area uh, would openly worship angels and demons, okay? Um, still happens today. I don't think it's diminished at all. Uh, in our culture, it's not quite as blatant. We don't call a demon a demon. You know, we have other names for it. Entertainment, popularity, fame, uh, fill in the blank, you know. Uh, 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 pornography. <laughs> uh, it's... Uh, 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 all kinds of stuff. It, 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 all, it, same practices, same demon, all right, even though it's a different name. In other countries, I've been to many other countries, they actually are worshiping demons. Uh, they put things in front of demonic statues and, and say things to them. <coughs> um, uh, and so all of that is distractions. And so the reason this comes up in this context to Paul's letter to the church is that both the pagan influences of of uh, worshiping uh, spirit beings, but also certain Jewish sects would mingle in some of those practices and um, through either ecstatic uh, uh, worship services, <laughs> if you will, or religious practices or meditation or other things, get to the state of they would have some kind of spiritual encounter. And that the, the error comes in when that encounter becomes the goal, all right? Uh, the error comes in when that encounter or that interaction with some spirit being becomes the destination, you know, and then it actually is a distraction from our true calling, which is to be uh, in unity with Christ, all right? So it's very important to understand, he's not saying angels are bad. Uh, you know, if, but if an angel appears here, you know, if a 20-foot angel appeared, um, uh, wow, that'd be great. But only if it led us to Christ, if it was here representing Jesus, all right? Now, we don't drum up and seek out angelic interactions, uh, but in our pursuit of Christ, guess what? All through the New Testament, angels show up. All right? You know, Peter, at one point, I love this, uh, was hit by an angel. It says the angel smacked him. I'm serious, the angel struck him. He's like, Peter, like, what did that look like? You know? Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know. I'm really curious. I can't wait, right? Angels show up in the New Testament on a regular basis, all right? Uh, but we were to test them, that they confess Jesus, that they're representing Christ and they're leading us toward Christ. So we don't worship them. Uh, we don't be distracted by them. Um, the NIV, <coughs> this verse, oh, by the way, is, is a hard verse to translate. Let me prove it, how hard it is. The New King James says, 
uh, intruding into those things which he, so whoever this teacher or teachers may have been, he has not seen. The NIV translates the same Greek letter, words. Such a person goes into great detail about, about what he has seen. Okay, so, and if you look through the translation, some of them translate it what he has not seen, and others translate it what he has seen. All right, so these Greek uh, translators really know their Greek, and they really know their English, all right? And sometimes it's hard to know what the intention of the author was. Now, when it co- doesn't, that should not undermine our confidence in Scripture. I actually think comparing the translations is a very important way to understand a Scripture. Because what is not important here is whether they saw it or didn't see it. All right? What is important is that we don't allow it to distract us from what we're supposed to be seeking. And that's the thing with visions and encounters. You don't know if they really happened. Somebody's all excited they saw an angel. You go, wow, that's really neat. That happened really. And you go, hmm. Or if you saw an angel or had a vision. It's like, wow, that was a, what's the fruit of it? That's what's most important. Does that make sense? And so we can know some specific things. Okay, what's clear is we don't allow anything to diminish our attention to Christ. And angels, visions, humility, they're not wrong in and of themselves unless they're out of place, unless they supplant uh, the role and the importance of the person of Jesus Christ. If they actually lead you to Christ, they're a good thing. All right, and not holding fast to the head, whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. <laughs> uh, this returns, uh, the author is returning to the metaphor of church as the body of Christ. He started that earlier, uh, right in chapter 1, and he's kind of returning back to this idea and he's stating that the errors of thinking, the wrong thinking, or being distracted by um, these other things actually is de- the deceptions that decapitates the church. Right? If the church is the body of Christ and Christ is their head, and, 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 and we remove Christ from it, or we're not joined, we're not holding fastly to the head, it's like, it's like headless Christians. There's an illustration. Let's have prophetic art no (laughs) we don't want to see that right that's the image it's biblical image it's and it's true it's disconnected you know you know this connection between my head and the rest of the body that's a pretty important connection and probably you know know, i could get rid of the finger i can get rid of a leg i don't want to but you get rid of the head you're done (laughs) <laughs> right and that's 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 why it's so important to understand this connection proper order is when we're connected in a healthy way which allows the church <clears throat> to be nourished right nourished means nourished well fed equipped supply we have what we need knit together all right now this is relationally intertwined with God, with one another, and growing uh, uh, with the growth that comes from God. And so this is 
how do we get that godly growth, both spiritual growth and uh, numeric growth? It's because we're connected with one another and we're connected with the head. Uh, a parallel verse, again, a study tip as we're going through these uh, books is to find other verses that say the same thing. And the book of Ephesians is very similar to Colossians and Philippians. Um, and so we look at Ephesians and Paul is writing into that church and it really uses of the same words, same idea, this is how he describes it. He says, uh, speaking of the tr- church, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, same idea, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The same image of being connected with Christ, connected with others, uh, enables growth. <clears throat> and the importance is on those two things, being connected with Christ and being connected with others. Uh, the church is an organic uh, uh, entity, and it's absolutely essential. Um, and there are Christians today that think you can be a, a Christian without being part of a local congregation. And I think uh, that idea is missing one of the main points of certainly the New Testament and really the whole Bible. Because the whole Bible is a family story. It's about bringing the family back together. And some people think they can just do their own Christianity on their own because they've been so disappointed by church. I'm like, yeah, that's part of the process, you know? Uh, right, that we learn how to be dependent upon one, uh, interdependency uh, that uh, includes dealing with one another's stuff, right? Don't you love other people's stuff? We got enough stuff on our own. <laughs> yeah, we bring our stuff. Does everybody bring all their stuff? Happy day. Oh, happy day. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's love. Working through that's love. Right? Love is what keeps you in there, even though there's all this stuff. Right? Otherwise, it gets just how you get rid of stuff. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? So now it's kind of a funny shift here. He's just talking about being alive, being the body of Christ, but then he talks about, hey, we're, we've, we're dead with Christ. And so it's a contrast, looking for contrast in Scripture is a great way to understand what the text is talking about. So he's contrasting the living body of Christ, which is an eternal thing, an eternal state, with our dead uh, carnal uh, nature, the, the, the part of us that died when we were joined with Christ. It's like Jesus died on the cross, entered into his resurrection. We die in Christ and be joined with him. And there's a contrast between those two lives. The lifestyle of freedom in Christ or subjection to the basic principles of the world. Now the New King James uses the term basic principles. The New Living Translation Again, comparing different translations is a great way to help understand, if you're, especially if you're not a Greek scholar, but if you're a Greek scholar, that's what they do. 
they look at English translations and different Greek translations to kind of figure out what was the intent of the author. What, what does it really mean? Uh, New Living Translation says, you have died with Christ. He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So <clears throat> um, basic principles and spiritual powers, the Greek word that's used there can mean both. So basic principles can be like economic principles or sociological principles, right? Uh, just the way humans work. But they can also mean demonic principalities, spirit beings, spirit powers, right? And the real truth, biblically, and some people are in different layers of this, is that there's less separation between those two than what we'd like to think in our 20, 21st century uh, minds, all right? That spirit things are kind of wacky and weird, and then we just have economic forces, political forces, sociological forces. In, the old, in, in ancient days, and actually more and more now, we're seeing, hey, sure, maybe one's the description of the other, but in reality, where does one stop and the other start? Nobody really knows. And that's why the words themselves can apply to both things. That was, oops, did I miss something? Yeah, that was a spiritual battle then, but that spiritual battle continues today. Are there things in our culture that are contrary to the lifestyle of Christ? That, the, that our society and influences in your life and my life are trying to draw us in to embrace? Yes? A few. How about tons of them, right? There's tons of things, whether it be materialism, whether it be uh, success and, 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 and humanitarianism, or whether it be uh, uh, other forms of, <coughs> of flagrant uh, behavior that is contrary to what Christ calls us to. There's this constant battle, and some of it is basic principles. Some of it is sociological influences, uh, humanitarian, human uh, influences, psychological influences, but some of them are spiritual influences. And the Bible says this is the battle that we're living in the midst of. And the reality is, in Christ we're set free from that battle. Don't go back into the darkness. <clears throat> don't touch. He goes on to list some of the things. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. Uh, uh, these all concern things which perish with the using. Why would you be caught back up into those? Uh, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So when he mentions don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, he's again, uh, the text is again referring especially to the ceremonial dietary laws and um, different restrictions that you were forbidden to touch. Uh, 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 you know, a Gentile forbidden to go into the house and even eat a meal with a Gentile or forbidden to eat pork. Aren't you glad we can eat pork? <laughs> Praise God. Somebody give me an amen. <laughs> Anthony, bacon, the meat of the new covenant. <laughs> I had this awesome pork chop yesterday on the grill. I know. That's why I mentioned it. It was so good. I can still, I'm still enjoying that. <laughs> We're going to have some bratwurst this afternoon. Hey, happy 4th of July. It's Americans. Go eat unhealthy food and set off explosives. <laughs> 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 Sorry. 
That's digressing. Second service, man. We're at the end. All right. Uh, so uh, Paul and the scripture is addressing these, these regulations. But also there were, in that culture, there was a lot of heathen taboos as well. Um, and so the uh, religion, religious uh, uh, pagan religions also had lots of taboos and things that you couldn't do. All of those were taught as ways to advance spiritually uh, or ways to obtain purity. And in the gospel, none of those things work. Why would you go back to those when you've already been complete? All of those deal with, with things that perish, all right? Not eternal things. I like how Jesus uh, um, talks about this in Matthew 15. He talks about the same idea. He says, don't you know, <clears throat> uh, don't, uh, you, uh, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth, Jesus talking about food, right? And we know in the Old Testament there's a lot to do with food. We have another discussion about why that is and how that's fulfilled in Christ. But Jesus is, is introducing, hey, there's a major shift coming here. Don't you understand that whatever you eat goes into your mouth and then into your stomach and then is eliminated? All right, everybody knew what he was talking about. <laughs> he says, don't you get it? What goes in doesn't matter because it just comes out. All right, the other end. All right, but what proceeds out of the mouth, that means the words you say, those come from the heart. And that's what defiles a man. That's where it really counts. That's the shift. The whole thing was like an object lesson, but you missed the point of the object lesson. And Jesus is saying, this is the point of the object lesson. All right? He says, these things indeed have the appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, uh, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And this is the conclusion. This is the point. Um, you know, the previous passages talked about the theology. Paul now shifts God now shifts in this section to address how we apply it, all right? And, and, and the goal, though, is how do we fight against indulgences of the flesh? And it's not with this stuff, because none of that stuff works, all right? Listen, Paul fasted. He went on fast, right? The New Testament talks about fasting. Uh, that's restricting of food, or behaviors for a particular purpose, but not for purity. Not, you know, if you fast, you don't get your sins forgiven. Right? Because your sins are already forgiven. So if you fast, you fast for other reasons, to d- remove distractions so you can set more time and attention on the things of God. Um, Paul had visions. Uh, in fact, he talked about his visions in great detail. So talking about visions in detail is not what he's saying is wrong. But if that becomes the object instead of Christ, then it's wrong. Right? He even kept the Passover feast, all right, because he was a, he was a he was actually Hebrew, he was Jewish, and uh, and he wanted to go as a, a, a means to represent, uh, take Christ and celebrate the Passover as a Christian in the fulfillment of it. Uh, so though, barring those things is not the point, but misusing those things that's the point that Paul's making. Listen, this is the point for us. Don't let the shadowy things of this world distract you from the substance of eternity. And that substance, that reality, is the person of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have not encountered the reality of Jesus Christ, 
Everything else is shadows, right? Everything else is meant, everything in life really is meant to either be a, a shadow of Christ or a reflection of his light off something else so that you turn and look and see Jesus and then realize he is the reality. He is the substance. He is the point of this whole existence and that you commit your life to following him and let him be Lord. Or if you've done that but haven't lived it or fallen short of it, don't revert back into the shadows thinking that if you do something just precisely enough, you'll, you'll be good enough again. No, realize that you are in, you are called to live in the light of the fullness of the gospel of Christ. And in that light, you are free, you are clean, you are accepted, you are loved. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that everyone here would experience what it means to live in that fullness. And when things come and distract, Father, turn our eyes to the light. Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Lord, and let us stay uh, steadfast and true. Lord, and let us know the fullness of that every way and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, listen, uh, we have our prayer team available on this side of the stage. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, like Peter said during worship, he got healed of a toothache. Praise God. If there's healing needs, we can... Uh, there was a testimony first service. Someone got healed of high blood pressure. Um, you can get healed just by praying, or if you have other emotional needs or just needs of encouragement, uh, they'll pray with you. On this side is our Rama team, folks trained to hear God's uh, voice and share with you words of encouragement, um, uh, comfort, uh, and uh, words to build you up. And so you can take advantage of that. They minister just to one or two each service. Otherwise, stand up. Greet one another. Hey, if there's someone you don't recognize, introduce yourself to them and take them back and finish off those snacks in the fellowship room. God bless you all. You are dismissed.